Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. My name is Isaac. I'm the lead pastor, and this is James, our facilities and worship arts pastor. Yeah, we're going to have a little chat here in just a second, but wanted to just make sure that you guys know about our connection card. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to connect with you so you can know more about what's going on in the church. Um, also, we would love to pray for you. Fill this out and drop it off at one of the black boxes in the back by uh, those two exits. Um, let us know how we can be praying for you. We believe in the power of prayer. And more and everything that you saw on the video is in the fresh sheet. So make sure and connect with that so you know what's going on. Yeah. And uh, the baby bottles for hope. This is a great opportunity to support a local pregnancy resource center here in Salem. So please take one of these on the way out, fill it with checks, cash, coins, social security numbers, whatever that you, you can give. Yeah. To support this wonderful ministry that's local here. Who wants one right now? Who wants one? All right. We're going open. Oh! Pass deflected. Mitch well playing done. cornerback. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to call pass interference. So, yeah. Ushers, will you come forward and we'll pray over our tithes and offerings? This is our time of, of giving. If you're a guest with us, please feel under no obligation to give. This is. For those of us who make New Hope our home, this is our way of supporting the ongoing ministry here. So I'll pray and we'll give. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your grace in our lives. Um, thank you for how you provide. Some of us aren't seeing that right now, and there's a need, and there's a, there's a deficit. We're coming short. There's a big bill. There's something there. I pray that you would provide and help people to see your faithfulness. I pray that you would continue to provide for the needs of our church, um, Lord, that you provide financially so we can continue to move forward with this great mission you've called us to. And I pray that you would give the church council and myself great wisdom as we together steward the resources of the church. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, thanks for giving. And yeah. Well, James joined our uh, team here at New Hope a couple of months ago, moving from Spokane to oversee our facility. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it is true. And um, yeah, since January, and you're settling into Oregon and getting used to Salem. Yeah, it's great. I've, I've got allergies, so, <laughs> and like in, in a new way, too. Like in I a had, new way. I had allergies before, now it's... It's like with a twist. It's like more... It's oh, different. the twist of more. Yeah, the twist of more. Yeah, it's more <laughs> intense than it was. So that's great. Yeah. Anybody else have allergies? You, yeah, yeah. Any Flonase users out there? Any Flonase? Flonase? I know. Anybody? Yeah. Like, I haven't had allergies until hand. my adult life, and now I'm like sticking things in my eye, sticking things <laughs> up my nose. I'm just, what have I become? What have I become? What yeah. even are we? Yeah. yeah. But enjoying Salem. It's great. Kids are getting plugged into school and loving that, and I'm finding my favorite places to eat and places not to eat. And so <laughs> if you want to know where not to eat, just talk to me later. I'll tell you a couple places. <laughs> I'll tell you about those places. Oh, that's great. So James, as we're continuing to get to know you as a congregation, um, your life began without much of a foundation. Um, people might be surprised by that because, I mean, like you're together and 
talented like and all that. Guy, you know, yeah, the pastor guy, the pastor guy. Yeah. yeah, but tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. My family life growing up was a little chaotic. Um, my my parents uh, weren't really anchored in really anything. They weren't anchored in God. They they had really no um, mental map for how it how to be human, how to really live life in terms of. The, especially the way that Jesus is called us to live it. So some of the way that they lived out their life was just born out of some of the same dysfunction that they experienced as kids. And so um, in my house, there was a lot of dysfunction. Both of my parents were um, struggled with substance abuse from time to time, alcohol, hard drugs. And um, it really created a lot of chaos in our home. Uh, from time to time, we would, you know, wonder if, hey, can we can we have water this month or food or, you know, yeah. are we going to have lights? And um, that, yeah, created a lot of dysfunction and, uh, and really just kind of carried on that cycle of poverty within mm-hmm. our family. So, and there um, were like seven kids, like 80 kids. Yeah. I'd like, yeah, I've, I have five sisters and two brothers. So I was one of eight kids. <laughs> and so we weren't killing it already. So you add in like, you know, <laughs> Hey, let's just spend that paycheck on crack. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't, yeah, yeah it doesn't work out too well. Yeah. No, yeah. So a lot of chaos. Um, several different dads that were part of that yeah, story yeah. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but you, you met Jesus in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting part of my story that I like to just, it's kind of cool how God works. Um, part of my story is that, uh, I became, a, I became a Jesus follower when I was in high school. But part of my story is that I was invited to come and just hang out with a family, a friend of mine with his family, and come to some of their family gatherings. And I realized really quickly that uh, this was not like it was at my house. So, you know, family get, you know, family get together, kind of game night thing. And it's like nobody had to be drunk. Like people could just function without mm. having to be wasted. Nobody was fighting and wanting to murder each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't like five TVs on all the time. And people genuinely were loving one another. And there was just this feeling of peace that I had never really experienced at home. Um, I was used to chaos. And, and I remember thinking then, and, and especially looking back, being like, man, if, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, which that's what it was, is their, their lives were anchored in Jesus. Yeah. They had built their lives around the way of Jesus as a family. And, and I could just go, this is not like what I'm used to. And if this is what following Jesus looks like, if this is what building your life around the gospel looks like, then sign me up because I want this, yeah. which, yeah. you know, became my passion. Um, like it, it didn't stop there because when I realized that I could be set free from the bondage of what was on offer in my family and I could offer to somebody, to people something more, what Jesus had on offer, um, it was what I was all about. I was like, I can invite my friends and my family and people to experience this. And yeah. I remember at Life Center, uh, the church that I grew up in became a Christian. We had like six weekend services, like two Sunday morning, two Sunday night, two Saturday night. I'd go to like every single service and invite somebody to every single service yeah. because I was so pumped. I'm like, this is a thing. Like you need to follow Jesus and build yeah. your life on this thing yeah. because this has the ability to change everything for you. And if it can change me and if it can pull me out of what I was in, um, then Wow. You know, imagine what it can do for you. So wow, um, it's amazing. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> By the way, my dad, the addict. I don't know if I, maybe you were going to ask me about this, but <laughs> my dad, the addict, and his uh, wife um, ended up getting saved. I led him to Jesus, and I got the chance to baptize him, which was amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. 
pretty cool. So, you know, they got the opportunity to walk through and allow Jesus to kind of reshape their lives. And it was, it was, took time. It, it takes time. Walking with Jesus is like a lifetime endeavor, right? You don't just change instantly, right. usually. Right. <laughs> and over time, working through addiction and, and meth addiction and, and some of that's heroin addiction and being able to be set free by Jesus and, and really ultimately leave to leave a whole mess of other people the yeah. opportunity to follow Jesus because of their example, Man. which is really cool. Man, yeah. so cool. So the new song we're doing, yeah. Build My Life, really seems to focus on that, Jesus being the foundation. So what, what lyrics are especially meaningful for you in that song? Yeah, yeah the, bridge, the bridge of the song. I think we might have the lyrics to that. I will build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Um, I love that. It's, it's a proclamation. It's something that you're saying, like, this. I want this to be true. And then also with prayer, because it's like, it's, it's not true all of the time. Just some of, <laughs> some of the time it's true. Uh, so it's really one of those things where it's like, you get to sing this and say, uh, it's like, it's like the, the already but not yet of the kingdom, that idea of there's some things that Jesus is doing right now, some instant things, but, but there's some stuff that he's still going to do. So we get to sing this song in faith by saying, Lord, I want to build my life upon your teachings. And Lord, would you help me? Would, yeah. you, would you, by your Holy Spirit, transform me from the inside out to be the kind of person whose life is just structured around what you're all about, yeah. your love, to lead, what's, I think another part of the song says, to yeah. lead people into your love. Yeah. Um, I love that. I yeah. love that. So, yeah. Yeah, building our life on the foundation of, of Jesus. Man, well, thanks for moving your family here from Spokane, for being a part of us and uh, for sharing your story uh, with us. Can we say thank you yeah. to James? Thanks, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> God's like, are, are you guys done yet? Or? <laughs> well, James' story, it really provides a template for us as we are in Colossians 1, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, we'll be in chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter. Um, his story really provides a template for us to anticipate that God, beyond James's awareness, um, provided a way of salvation and hope for him that has expanded. As he said, his, um, his family's come to know Jesus. And now, James has five daughters, if you think about those five daughters that are now experiencing what James only came to know as a teenager, a life lived for Jesus, a life of where there's forgiveness and hope and security, um, that's amazing. And we can, we can relate to some of us as seeing how God has really changed our lives, and others of us really relate to maybe the longing that you could hear in James's story as a teenager. Um, Maybe you've seen some other uh, Christians, people carry peace, and, and you, you, you recognize you, there's a lot of chaos, stress, strain, conflict in your life, and you, you long for that. Um, others of us, you see other people have spiritual experiences, and you, you realize there's more going on. Like even when we're singing, maybe if you're, you're newer to this, you're 
you feel your heart kind of opening up as these words and melodies are being sung and you're not sure what's going on, but you kind of want more, but you're a little bit confused about what to do next. Or I think for, for many of us, there's guilt, shame for what we've done in our lives. And we kind of bring that into a room like this and you might even think, you know, if they really knew what I was really like, they wouldn't greet me so warmly during that greeting time. That's what your feeling is. A shame. Or maybe you hear others talk easily about God, or you saw other people as like, you know, as soon as they walk in this room, they're lifting their hands towards God, and there's this freedom of intimacy with the Lord, and, and you're, you're like, whoa, that's, that's not me. Like, if God is real, he's... And you, you wonder, though, is, is that what it is? Can I have a relationship with God? To begin, I'd just like to say that Jesus sees you right where you're at. Whatever you're carrying, these questions and these feelings, these anticipations, he sees you. And he's being faithful to you right now. He's really always, we sang about it, he's drawing us into a relationship with him. And he's, no matter what we've done, he is tenacious and faithful, drawing you back to himself. He's really pulling us um, into a vertical orientation towards him. But we live in a culture that really has a, what we've described the last couple of weeks, a horizontal orientation towards life. And this is a, a life that is oriented, and really this is new in history, in terms of how we think of ourselves because of our highly individualistic, consumeristic culture, we think our, ourselves as kind of like just about our life, birth to death. Our eyes are on this life and what we can get out of it, and we really hope that we you know, become something in this life, and we're um, narcissistic, we're screen-addicted, and we're driven because of our culture and our world towards this horizontal self. But the reality is you are a spiritual being. Um, you're a created being in the image of God. And God is eternal. And this is more apt um, way to think about our life. That we are, there's way more going on than just this moment. And that's greatly relieving and also sobering. Because if there's more going on than in this life, there's questions to be answered. The, the horizontal, short-sighted way of life, you know, presses us into um, a focus in, to where we lose sight of what is real. We're eternal beings. So we are um, coming to understand um, this idea of having a vertical orientation um, towards God. Seeing ourselves rightly on the path of eternity right-sizes our expectations and leads us towards this vertical orientation towards life. And the vertical self first sees God as ultimate authority. Um, that word authority might even be scary. Let's say this, God is creator, the one who is the giver of life. And from him, all things flow. And so our first orientation is that we've come from God and we return to God. And that frames the next thing down, that this life is all about 
walking out the DNA that he has given us, that we are of him, and in this life we are to express him. And so the vertical self is is very concerned with our soul and our spiritual formation. Classically within history, we call that virtue or character development because we are not just learning to follow rules, but becoming, we are learning to become like our Father, to become like the God that we serve, seen most vividly in his Son, Jesus Christ. Scripture says being conformed into his image and likeness. That's the great concern of life on earth is, is being conformed. And then finally, within the vertical self, there's a recognition that there are eternal consequences for sin, sin, missing the mark, that there's, there are um, real consequences because we are eternal beings. God has made a good world in which goodness abounds when we're living in his way, um, but ultimately, God in his justice, there are ramifications final judgment ramifications for how we choose to reject him. It's sobering, but it's also very freeing because you're hearing the message of Jesus, which is the message of life and life in the full, including eternity. Seeing ourselves um, this way is very helpful, but, but we tend towards this horizontal way. And Mark Sayers, who wrote the book Vertical Self, which gives us this construct, of thinking, he says it becomes a real identity problem. And I think you'll probably be able to relate to some of what he writes here. He says, when it comes to our identities, it is as if we are now homeless. The vertical self provided a home for our identities that was secure and stable. He's referencing that in historic times, the vertical orientation towards life was natural. Most humans had a sense that we come from something. He says, but now, in this horizontal way of thinking, our identities are unsheltered, subject to the elements, to passing cultural fads, and the opinions of our peers. The age of the horizontal self means that we must keep on the move, constantly trying to play by our culture's rules of identity and constant competition with those around us for attention and affection. We're drawn into a frenzy, into a hurry and a flurry, hoping that in this life we mean something relative to what other people think of us or if we can finally figure out who I am, what I'm supposed to do. People in our culture are just clamoring. And you've probably seen it. There's all sorts of ways we try to identify and decide who we are and then prove it to ourselves and everyone else and think that we'll get a sense of worth or belonging or security from that. But that all comes from our relationship with God. So, as we turn to Colossians 1, again, we do what we do every week. We go to God's revelation of Scripture um, so that we might be shown the way, the hope of Jesus again. Um, We struggle so much for identity and a sense of significance, and so we should notice all the relational words that are within Scripture. We're going to see the word uh, this, this morning, reconciliation between God and man. And reconciliation is relationship being repaired and restored. We're also going to see the word presence, God's presence, something that is, we experience with another person. 
My youngest daughter, Ava, she's eight. She knows my presence by the smell of the cologne I wear. I don't wear Axe body spray. I just wanted to clarify that because I'm not 12, right? And, uh, but there was a piece of clothing that she smelled, and she told me about it later. She goes, Dad, I smelled you, and I felt like you were right next to me. Presence is a relational word. That we're invited into this context of knowing and feeling the security of God, our Father. So we're going to see those relational words. I want you to be prepared for that. Last week, um, we covered a quotation that Paul uses in the, in the preceding verses to what we'll study today, in which he is quoting an early hymn that was sung by the church that elevated the, the cosmic, universal supremacy of Jesus and all that he has done. And uh, so we'll read a few more verses today, but first of all, the last two verses from the last stanza of that hymn that we covered last week. Paul says these big, broad statements of who Jesus is. He says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It's just cosmic and epic and large. And Paul wants us to see how big it is. All of creation is affected by the work of Jesus. He has said a few verses before that through Jesus, all things were created by him and for him. And it is just cosmic. But now Paul, in the next verses, will change the focus from being broad to now zooming in. The focus of his words become to people, to individuals, the camera, so to speak, zooms close. And as we read the next few verses, I'd like for you to consider that Paul is sitting right next to you. And he's drawing your attention. You know when your kids are small and you, sometimes you turn their head to look you in the eyes? Not out of anger, but just like, I want this to be important. This is God's heart for you this morning, that your eyes would be drawn to meet his as you hear these epic words that are for you. Holy Spirit, as we open your word and as we see what you have for us today, we pray that there would be great um, insight that would be given to us as we study your holy words. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring Paul to write these words. Bring them to bear on our lives today in 2019. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, this includes you who were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. 
There's that word. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Hmm. Amen. Let's take it a verse at a time with just a couple of observations. Paul begins this cosmic universal thing, and then he says, this includes you. Scripture is always personal and is always beckoning us into personal account. It's always meant for our full participation. This isn't a a movie that we watch go by, but rather this is us as characters in this epic story of God's plan of redemption. We are sucked into the action, into the narrative, Paul says, this includes you. This includes you who have always known the love of God. Like James's family, being raised in the context of knowing the love of God. This includes you, if that is you. This includes you, if you're just learning or coming to know God's love. If you're here for the first time, you have no idea. How did I get here? Somebody drug me here, trying to get brownie points with my mom by being here. That's fine. This includes you. This includes you who have turned your back on God. This message is for you. This includes you who stumble through life making choices that you aren't proud of. This includes you. All of us, Paul says, were separated from God by our evil thoughts and actions. This kind of separation um, is deep. It isn't benign. It's malignant. The separation is significant and profound. I'll illustrate um, and to explain. I, I met Randy... When I was nine years old, he would later become the best man in my, in my wedding. We were great friends. This is us, uh, late high school. We were serving at a camp <laughs> together. Um, and we would be close over the years. And in our late teens, both Randy and I gave our lives fully to Jesus. And I have great memories of praying together until we fell asleep in those late teen years. But not knowing him before I was nine years old wasn't a separation. We weren't Longlock's brothers. Um, He was not beholden to me or me to him. If we had never met, I'm sure that we would have both had other friends and God in his faithfulness could have used those friends to help us in our relationship with him, with Jesus. But our relationship was not a reconciliation. But the separation we have from God is full of loss. 
Being separated from God means that we are separated from our identity. As um, scriptures say, that we are created in his image and likeness. That we, in him, we live and move and have our being. Apart from a relationship with God, we don't have a sense of ourselves. We are separated from our source of purpose. For he himself, who purposed life to happen, apart from a relationship with him, we flounder and come up with our own purposes. We are separated from meaning and the very source of life. For us, this separation is disastrous. Apart from being in a relationship with our creator, we are left to fend for ourselves like helpless orphans apart from God. And as orphans living apart from a real relationship with God, Paul says we're separated by our evil thoughts and actions, that there is a seed of corruption that is within each of us. Um, No child starts out with grand plans for corruption. Right? (laughs) But the seeds are there in every human being. We have called this, to help us to see it, five-degree lies. A little bit off becomes a lot off over time. And I think we can all relate to that, and we understand the concept that over time, this gets even bigger. The seeds of corruption, our evil thoughts and actions, continue to separate us from God. Um, I think that we could all illustrate this from our own lives, but I would like to dramatically illustrate it so the point is made um, with the more exaggerated Um, example, um, not from my own life, just so you know, not from my own life, but from the age of prohibition here in the United States. Um, If you're not familiar with U.S. history, in 1920, it's really fascinating to look back, there was a constitutional amendment, or there's an amendment to our Constitution which outlawed and banned the sales of all liquor and alcohol. And for 14 years, that was a part of our Constitution. In the United States, you could not sell or create consumable alcohol. It's amazing to look back at what happened and to think that that was a part of our culture. But um, a character, a German immigrant by the name of George Remus during this time, was a lawyer, studied to become a lawyer, and then saw the ability to make money in the underground trafficking of alcohol. And so he laid aside his good practice, five degrees, and then took up um, the underhanded practice of paying off officials and illegally obtaining large qualities of distilled liquor and then distributing that all around, amassing a massive fortune and paying off everybody he needed to along the way. And finally, after several years, he was caught, and he was thrown into prison, and his wife was in charge of his assets, and he thought, after I'm out of prison, will this kind of resume as normal, and we'll do it 
surprised him. His wife took his money, had an affair on him, and then filed for divorce. He gets out of prison. He's going now to divorce court. He's on his way to divorce court, and he tells his cab driver to run her cab off the road. He runs her off the road. She gets out of the car. He gets out of his. He pulls out a handgun, and he shoots her and kills her. Did somebody go, woo? I don't know what that was about. (laughs) He was born in 1874. Let's imagine George Remus as a little boy. Certainly, they could have been the small seeds of corruption, you know, sneaking the cookie from the cookie jar. But it's not like George wrote in his journal, likely when he was four years old, one day I will murder my wife. A small thing that becomes a big thing. Unless a relationship with God interrupts us and heals that fragmentation, corruption will grow. We may not be murderers, but bitterness and hatred grows. These are seeds that grow evil thoughts and actions that separate us from God. But in spite of our corruption, there is good news. Hmm. Paul goes on. Oh, there's, that's George Remus. Doesn't he just, he just looks the part, doesn't he? Just, hmm. yeah. Imagine him as a little boy, though. Probably wouldn't say, ah, oh, huh, he'll be a gangster. Hmm. In spite of our corruption, verse 22, Paul says, yet, that word, unlikely, in spite of this, the fact that we have done this, he has now reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you, listen, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You are reconciled to God. This is a key Christian concept. To reconcile is to rejoin, to put back together again, to repair, to restore. Notice the re that is a part of each of these words. Re is from the Latin heritage of our, um, of our language. That means again. It means again join, again pair together, again concile. And this Latin word concile is like our word counsel, gathered together on the same team for the same purpose, to re-put us together on the same team for the same purpose. This is the reconciliation that God has done through Jesus, through the death of his son, putting us back on the same team. But it's even more profound as we see it from a scriptural perspective because this is not two equal parties that have had a falling out and now are reconciled, but this is us being the fallen party and him being the holy party, the, the one that is so perfect beyond comprehension. Even as we consider little George Remus stealing a cookie from the cookie jar, that bit of stealing puts him on the opposite sides of, side of the universe from God because in God there is only perfection and unity and harmony. 
Anything that is not like God is anti-God. And there is separation, but God, this is the profound story, came all the way to the point of George Remus's brokenness, if he would like to receive it from God, all the way to your brokenness, and has now reconciled, put back together, and made whole by his son's death and resurrection. He's done this Because what he created at the beginning was good. Man and woman he created, and it was good. In his image and likeness, we are made. We've got his DNA. He's our good dad. Not a bumbly, jovial, irresponsible dad, but a sound, true slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness, present and caring, Dad. We are made in his image and likeness, and he has relentlessly, as we sang earlier, recklessly pursued us and given us everything so that we can be drawn back into reconciliation, created to be his agents of goodness and light and love and hope and healing on this planet. Now he has restored us to right place with him so that we can express his love to the world. Paul goes on, like this is what is real, this is cosmic and it's so personal and it's you. And he says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. As Paul is writing this, no doubt he is getting news that some from Colossae are drifting away. They're they're losing sight of what Jesus has done. They're believing another vision about what life is all about. And so far, they, they are drifting away from it. Paul says you must continue to believe. And as we've talked about here, that is not just a mental assent of belief. Like, okay, I agree with, you know, Pastor Guy up front, and okay, that sounds good. But rather, it's a bodily belief. It's a full in. It's an an engagement. It's an invitation. God, show me how I'm to repent and realign my life towards you. Dad, show me what it means to be a part of your family and how we interact with other members of your family in this world. It's a full yes. It's, a, it's an everything yes. It's an all day, every day kind of yes. We don't do it to prove ourselves to God, but rather to become more and more worthy of that lavish love that he's given us. He gives it to us no matter what, but we get to walk in it and to be proud and to be one of those who's like, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, and I'm living into that identity. I'm learning to breathe my Father's way in nature and exhale it into the world. It's our privilege to do so. But we are prone to drift. I see it in me. We're prone to apathy. And in our culture, it's so easy to be apathetic because we can just flip on Netflix or Hulu and zone out, numb out, and dumb out. I rhymed and everything. (laughs) We're prone to take an easier way in our culture. 
or to take the way that others are taking, those around us. We long to be normal relative to the people around us. But I think God would encourage us, develop a sense of normal from Scripture, not the world around you. Allow Scripture to normalize your expectations of what life should be like. Normal is broken. I love the classic hymn, Come Thou Fount. And every time I sing these words, I see myself. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We are all prone to wander, but we gather to be reconnected, recalibrated, reconfigured, so that we see what God has done to draw us to him so we can breathe that life into everyone we meet. That's like a party song right there. I think, I think that was God just saying, yeah. Hmm. Some questions for you as we um, draw to a close. The first question is this. Why is it difficult for you to acknowledge your five-degree sin? Just a bit off. I've noticed that those are the hard ones. And ask yourself why. As I ask myself, I see my pride. Second question for you to take with you. In the midst of a culture that demands your constant attention, what will you do to spend time with your good father? I've gone off social media this year as an experiment, and I don't miss it. Part of it is to keep my heart just focused on Jesus and not what others would say. I'm not prescribing that to you, but I will say it's been the good life. That's from somebody who was one of the first adopters of social media in all forms. <clears throat> the third question, if someone were to watch you through the week, would they notice your commitment to God or to self? It's really great to be aware of ourselves assess ourselves and finally the horizontal orientation that we've talked about leads life or towards life leads to narcissism and a great way to solve narcissism is to, to serve some others so the question who can you serve this week so you get your eyes off yourself A story as we close. Nita was her name. Married, 
but not married to the father of the two young boys, her sons who were just a year apart. He, her husband, worked nights and often not getting enough sleep was verbally and physically abusive. She finally threw him out. But each week, through all of this, she was in church with those two boys. Every week. Same seat. Two rows back, first three seats in. Mom and her two boys. She was determined as a single mom, but she was under-resourced. But determined to have them in church every week. Every week hearing the message of a good father, Jesus who loves, who sees, who cares, who heals. When her boys were teenagers, cancer struck. And she died before she could see all of what God was doing in the lives of her boys. Randy, my best friend I introduced you to, was the younger of the two boys. And at 19, he gave his life fully to Jesus. He started following Jesus. And we prayed until we fell asleep together. And then he worked with campus life. And then as a youth pastor, a worship pastor, an associate pastor, And today, Randy has three teenage children, beautiful wife, Katie, and he's on staff of a large church in Corvallis, Oregon. God is reconciling all things to himself. I think about that single mom walking out of brokenness, but being faithful to take her boys to where she knew there was a firm foundation. I think about James's family, the friends that he met, and he was brought into their house, and there was a place of acceptance and love and health, and God was whispering to young James, and now look at what is happening. In the present, we can only see the present, and this is why we are called not to drift away from this hope that we have, for it is the foundation of our lives. And over time, God will bring fruitfulness to that. This is James' story. This is Randy's story. This can be your story. It's part of what you're doing by participating with the life of the church consistently. God is doing something. As you engage with your discipleship to Jesus, this grand story of God reconciling us to himself and us to all things becomes your story too. And in the end, what you realize, like many of us have, this is the only story worth living into with our whole hearts. Would you bow with me? I have two questions I want to ask as we are have heads bowed. First of all, I would invite you today, now, to put your trust in Jesus if you have not done so in your life. Today is the day to make a choice 
and to put your faith fully in Jesus Christ. If that's you needing to make that decision, either for the first time today or the first time in a long time, would you lift up your hands so that we can pray with you? Yeah. I see your hand. And yours, yes, yours. Yeah, I see yours as well. We have several people who are lifting their hands saying they want to have a relationship with Jesus, fresh and new. Let's pray out loud with each of these. Please repeat after me. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, so I would know your love. You have been faithful to me. And now I'm seeing. I invite you into my life. I receive forgiveness because Jesus died and rose again. I receive new life. I want to follow. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. The second question. If you have felt yourself drifting or becoming apathetic a little bit or a lot of bit, if that's you, would you lift your hand as a point of just saying, yeah, that's, yeah. I see, yeah, I see several hands. I totally relate to this. This is us. Scripture just says, fall back in line. Repent. Scripture never invites us to carry shame and guilt and whatever emotion we like to attach to that, but it says, let's get up and let's do it together. So God's grace to every one of you as you are endeavoring to continue to follow the way of Jesus, to lay aside your apathy and to take up our cross to follow him who went to the cross so that we can have life and wholeness and healing in every way. Well, James is going to lead us in this song again that we um, learned this morning about building our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. As we come to a close, will you stand and will you sing the song and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to affirm what is happening in your hearts as we build our lives on the foundation uh, that is Jesus. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Jesus Jesus the name above every other the only one who could ever sing Worthy of every breath we could ever
Celebrate Mother's Day, as Donia said, for some of us, there's pain that's a part of that, and we hope that our time together is relieving to your pain. Chocolate helps, so there's chocolate fondue out in the lobby, you know, where you can stick the marshmallow or the pretzel on the end of the kebab, and then you let it, let the chocolate just drizzle over it, and then you pull it to your mouth, and then you have to take it away because you have to clean up after your kids as they're trying to do the same thing. That's what we have out in the lobby for you. 
And also there's a photo booth for you to get a picture. We'll have prints of that picture um, that, uh, for you next week, free of charge. It's our gift uh, to you. If you're new, stop at the I Am News Station and get connected with next steps around here. And finally, there'll be people that can pray with you down here as you need prayer. You're loved and we're glad that you're here. Also, those baby bottles, take those. The ushers are gonna put them in your hands, bring them back on Father's Day full of cash. You're dismissed. Enjoy your week. We'll see you next time. Eat some chocolate.